His hands shook as he fumbled with his keys, his heart pounding as he found the right one to open the smoking linen closet. He stuck it in the keyhole, with heat radiating from behind the door. With a click, it was unlocked, and he swung the door open, only to be assaulted by flames that burst out, and would ultimately do many. Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, my name is Eleanor. Just a quick disclaimer for a younger audience before we dive in. This story may be disturbing to some, so viewer discretion is advised. Okay everyone, let's get into it. We don't cover many Canadian ships. Hello to our Canadian viewers, this one is for you. So let's get started on this Canadian adventure, shall we? Our story begins in 1910, when the Grand Trunk Railway and Northern Navigation Company, a subsidiary of the Richelieu and Ontario Navigation Company, started an operating agreement for the construction of a new ship for the Great Lakes. Northern Navigation hadn't immediately wanted to jump the gun and create a new vessel, mainly focusing on putting new cabins on their steamer Huronic, which was also under construction at the time, but they would move forward with the project. If you'd like us to cover Huronic, by the way, I'd love to. While this project was still in its infancy, Northern Navigation Company was purchased by a shipping entrepreneur named James Playfair in mid-January in 1911, with the approval of Grand Trunk Railway concerning the previous operating agreement. Northern Navigation Company was worth $1 million Canadian in stock and other terms, and in order to entice not only the president of Northern Navigation, W.J. Shepard, but also the president of Grand Trunk Railway, Charles Melville Hayes, James Playfair offered $1,250,000 Canadian for the company. Shepard discussed this with Hayes, and Hayes then turned to the company's passenger and freight departments. The conversations must have been somewhat troubling, because Hayes returned to Shepard with a vital question. Did the business outlook look good enough to warrant another steamship of equal capacity and general style to Hamonic? Did Hamonic really need a sister ship? At first, GTR President Hayes was not convinced and disproved of Playfair purchasing Northern Navigation. However, Playfair was sure this was the right idea, and he went to work to convince Hayes of his ideas. On February 6, 1911, Hayes finally budged. Under the new agreement with the two companies, Northern Navigation would provide a new steamship within the next 18 months and that the ship would be fully operational by the beginning of 1913. It was planned to be around 400 feet long, which is 122 meters. Unfortunately, we live in a small world, and Charles Melville Hayes would die in the sinking of RMS Titanic on April 14, 1912, and his death contributed to a delay in the start of construction on SS Neuronic. Despite the fact construction was delayed, it was not delayed indefinitely, and so the ship was launched on June 2, 1913. Given the fact we had an 18-month time frame to build her, I'm going to make an assumption that construction started around January of 1912, but that isn't exact. Western Dry Dock and Shipbuilding Company of Port Arthur, Ontario, Canada was responsible for building the steamer, building her for what is currently Canada Steamship Lines. Before we get any further into her history, let's look at her specs. 
SS Noronic was a steamship that displaced 6,095 gross registered tons, which is a ship's total internal volume. In Imperial measurements, she was 362 feet long and had a depth of 28 feet 9 inches deep. In metric measurements, that's a length of 110 meters long and a depth of 8.76 meters deep. In terms of capacity, she could carry 600 passengers with a crew of 200. Since she was built in the wake of the Titanic disaster, she featured watertight compartments and a double bottom. She spanned five decks, and each of the decks were labeled. The passenger decks were A, B, C, and D, and none of the passenger decks had direct gangplank access to the dock, with the only exits being located on E-deck, which was for crew only. There were two gangplanks on the port side and two on the starboard, though only two of these four were operational at a time. She was one of Canada's largest and most beautiful ships on the Great Lakes, thus gaining the nickname Queen of the Lakes, which is an unofficial title given to the largest ship serving the Great Lakes. Her hull was black and her superstructure white, with one funnel toward the stern that was painted buff with a black tip. She looked sleek, stylish, and simple, much like ocean liners on the Atlantic at that time. Looks aren't everything, so let's check out her propulsion. As for propulsion, SS Noronic was equipped with one three-cylinder triple expansion steam engine powering one screw, and with this simple yet efficient setup, she could reach average service speeds of 16 knots, which is 30 kilometers per hour and 18 miles per hour. She was comparable to her eight fleetmates, which were SS City of Midland, SS Doric, SS Ionic, SS Majestic, SS Waubach, SS Huronic, and SS Hamonic. If some of these names sound familiar, that's because four of them match White Star Line ocean liners. SS Noronic is also very close to the infamous SS Noronic, which is a White Star Line ship that went missing. White Star Line has her fair share of interesting stories. And this video story is pretty interesting too. If you're enjoying this video, leave me a like, subscribe to the channel for more content, and let me know down in the comments section below. Okay, speaking of that interesting story, let's get back to it. SS Noronic's maiden voyage commenced on May 30th, 1914, and she arrived in Detroit late that afternoon. The free press would note that she, quote, swung regally about as she entered the Detroit River, with a huge crowd awaiting her in Detroit. Her first official trip started when she left Detroit at 7.30 p.m. that day for a cruise on Lake Erie, with roughly 50 guests from Windsor and Detroit aboard. She arrived in Detroit once more the following day, then heading to Cleveland. After this, she'd have a steady, reliable career up into 1949 when the fire would devastate her. On September 14, 1949, she began a seven-day pleasure cruise of Lake Ontario, starting off from Detroit, Michigan. She left Detroit and headed off to Cleveland, Ohio, where she'd pick up additional passengers. And from there, she was scheduled to head to Prescott, Ontario and the Thousand Islands before heading back to Sarnia, Ontario, where she'd be laid up for winter. However, we all know this would never happen. On board, 171 crew were working, and this included Captain William Taylor, all of whom were Canadian. Of the 524 passengers, 504 of them were Americans. This leaves only 20 that were of different nationalities. With these passengers, SS Noronic docked for the night at Pier 9 at the foot of Bay Street in Toronto Harbor at 7 p.m. on September 16, 1949. Around 2.30 a.m., passenger Don Church noticed smoke seeping out from a locked closet in the aft part of the port corridor on Sea Deck. Feeling curious, he followed the smell of smoke to a small room off the port corridor, just past the women's bathroom. 
the smoke was coming from a locked linen closet, and so he notified bellboy Ernest O'Neill. O'Neill didn't sound the alarm, but instead ran to the steward's office on D-deck to get the keys to the linen closet. Once he opened it, the fire exploded out into the hallway, quickly eating at the lemon oil polished wood paneling all over the walls. Quickly, the fire spiraled out of control, and the flames reached 50 feet tall over the vessel, and it burned for well over two and a half hours. Neuronic's distress whistle rang out into the night, with passengers scrambling down ropes and the gangway to get to the dock and avoid a fiery death. Some leapt down into the water of the harbor, and some of these folks were lucky enough to be pulled onto rafts by good Samaritans who rushed in to help. The first of these rescuers was 27-year-old Donald Williamson. He'd been working a late shift at the nearby Goodyear tire plant, and he was a former lake freighter deckhand, rushing to see Neuronic in port. He arrived after following the ship's distress call, seeing the fire grow in size and the people frantically jumping into the water. He jumped into a nearby painter's raft, and he pulled people to safety as they leapt from the ship. If you're on an audio-only format like Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, make sure to subscribe for more episodes and leave us a five-star review since it helps us reach more listeners like you. Check out our community tab on YouTube to keep up with us, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, back to the story. The first fire truck arrives just 11 minutes after the fire's discovery, but it was already too late for SS Neuronic at this point. The firemen were rushed by survivors, some of whom were on fire as they ran up, pleading for help. They were extinguished, and fireboats soon arrived on scene to assist in the rescue, pulling survivors out of the cold, oily lake water. To save some passengers from their cabins, crew members smashed in portholes. Well, the Pierce watchman had seen this before the distress whistle, and that's when he'd contacted the fire department and the whole thing got underway. In total, a hose wagon, pumper truck, a high-pressure truck, an aerial truck, the deputy chief, a rescue squad, and a fireboat were all dispatched, as well as police and ambulances. The first fire truck was on scene by 2.41 a.m. Unfortunately, as help arrived, the ship was already on fire. Only 15 of the 171 crew were still on board when the fire broke out, and they failed to sweep the upper four decks to wake passengers. Those who did wake up awoke to the sound of screaming and running in the hallways, and they ran out to find most of the stairwells were already on fire. Very few passengers made it to E-deck to use the gangplanks, with some using ropes to descend and others simply jumping from the upper decks as panic took hold. Some were even trampled to death in the stampede of scared passengers trying to escape the flames in the narrow halls of the ship. Some suffocated or burned alive, unable to escape their cabins before the fire reached them. Eyewitnesses claimed that above the sound of whistles and sirens was the screaming of the damned, a horrific sound that I cannot even imagine. There were multiple rescue ladders used. The first of these was extended to B-deck, and because of how many scared passengers rushed it all at once, it snapped in two. The passengers that clung to it fell into the harbor, where a nearby fireboat rescued them. Other ladders went up to C-deck, and they held strong and true throughout the evacuation. After about 20 minutes, the hull was white-hot and the decks started to buckle and collapse onto one another as they turned to ash. After an hour of firefighting, SS Neuronic was so full of water that she listed severely toward the pier, causing firefighters to retreat as the flames lashed out closer and closer to them. She would right herself, and the firefighters approached once more, filling the ship with a total of 1.7 million gallons or 6.4 million liters of water from 37 separate hoses. 
The firefighters helped save many of the passengers that managed to escape. And our patrons help ensure the future of our channel. This episode couldn't be possible without our lovely patrons. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to support the channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com slash shipwrecksunday to join. Alright, enough shameless plugs. Back to the story. The amazing firefighting crew managed to put out the blaze by 5 a.m., an SS Neurotic stat as a steaming, smoking hulk in the harbor, alit by emergency lights. The wreck cooled for two hours before body recovery could begin, with searchers finding a horrific scene inside the sopping wet, burnt-out shell of a ship. Charred, embracing skeletons were found in the corridors by firefighters that could never erase that image from their minds, and some of the deceased remained in their beds. Sadly, many of these skeletal remains were almost completely incinerated, and the only way to identify many of them was through forensic dentistry, and reportedly, it was the first time this was ever used. For our younger audience, forensic dentistry or forensic odontology involves a handling, examination, and evaluation of dental evidence against dental records to identify remains. Unfortunately, not all of the remains could be identified. Glass had melted from every window, and even steel fittings were warped and twisted by the intense heat of the blaze. Every single stairwell except one near the bow had been completely obliterated. We don't know exactly how many perished, but we do know that the number is in between 118 to 139 deaths. Most died from either suffocation or burns, while some were trampled to death or died from leaping off the upper decks to the pier, and only one person drowned. All 118 of the initial death toll were passengers, and this caused outrage among the public. One crew member later died of her wounds, Louisa Dustin, and she was the only Canadian victim and became fatality number 119. Due to the outrage and the odd occurrences of this fire, the House of Commons formed an inquiry to investigate the accident. The House of Commons of Canada is the lower house of the Parliament of Canada, for viewers not aware. The fire was determined to have started in the linen closet, which we know, but the cause was never found, which frustrates the hell out of me. More than likely, it was a cigarette carelessly dropped by a member of the laundry staff, though company officials would suspect arson. Unfortunately, this is not one of those stories where the crew steps up and is heroic. This is one of those O2 common stories where the crew was cowardly and just simply were off duty when the fire started. Not only this, none of them tried to wake or assist passengers, and many of them fled after the first alarm, with none of them attempting to call the fire department. Passengers also didn't know evacuation routes or procedures, so it became a free-for-all. The ship's construction and design was 36 years past its prime, and so were also faulty. Namely, that wooden paneling that had been so carefully oiled, and the fact that exits were only on E-deck. Also, none of the ship's fire extinguishers were working, so that only added to the chaos. We can tip our hats to one man, Captain William Taylor. As the fire was happening, he broke windows to save passengers from their rooms, and was among the last of the crew to leave SS Noronic, as it should have been. Sadly, the Canadian Department of Transport blamed both Canada Steamship Lines and Taylor for failing to take needed precautions, so Taylor's master's certificate was suspended for a year. One witness accused Taylor of being inebriated during the disaster, which he denied, and his version of the story was supported by multiple other witnesses. Now that leaves SS Neuronic herself. What happened to her? Well, she'd settled to the bottom of the harbor in shallow water, and was partially scrapped at the scene. Her upper decks were stripped away, and her hull was refloated later on November 29, 1949, being towed to Hamilton, Ontario, where she was completely scrapped. 
Her older sister, Hironic, was retired and scrapped the following year in 1950, and by 1967, the rest of the remaining passenger ships from Canada Steamship Line's fleet were phased out due to changes in international regulations regarding flammable materials. Civil lawsuits were settled for SS Neuronic for just over $2 million Canadian. As for what's left of her, her whistle, which eerily rang out into the night, remains in a nautical museum on Toronto's waterfront. On the 50th anniversary of the disaster, the Ontario Heritage Foundation placed a plaque near the site to commemorate it. SS Neuronic's fire feels needless, frustrating, and endlessly sad. To think of the horrific death that many face simply just leaves me feeling empty inside. Rest in peace to all of the victims in this senseless tragedy. May they rest easy, and I hope their families, friends, and loved ones have found justice and solace. If you liked that story and wanted to hear more Great Lakes content, check out our playlist in the cards. Stay tuned next week for the story of F.V. Andrea Gale, the ship that inspired the film The Perfect Storm. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.